welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and share it with others. All right. Well, we have had uh, some very encouraging pictures of the early church in Acts 10 and 11. And uh, we've talked a little bit about the spread of the gospel up to Antioch. And now the camera, as Luke is running our literary camera here, he brings us back around to Jerusalem. And uh, Barnabas and Saul were sent back to Jerusalem at the end of chapter 11. And we'll see them return to Antioch at the end of chapter 12. And so this appears to be kind of some events that happen in the city of Jerusalem um, while Paul and Barnabas are bringing the gift uh, from the Christians in Antioch for the relief of the um, hungry Christians in um, in Jerusalem. So there's going to be some some fascinating contrasts in this chapter. Yeah, and as is typical with the book of Acts, sometimes you get a little bit of whiplash. Uh, you, you read something really encouraging and something really, really cool, and then you read something that might be a little discouraging, something that's sad, and uh, that's certainly the beginning of chapter 12 for us. So uh, we'll go ahead and get into that. Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 from the, from the New American Standard Bible. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Yeah. So Herod here is going to be kind of an important figure in this chapter. It's helpful to kind of remind ourselves about the family of the Herods. Uh, Herod was kind of a title uh, of sorts. It refers to this specific family of rulers um, who were rulers over different parts of the area of like Judea and places like that. And we remember one of the Herods, uh, I remember it was like Herod the Great, who was the one who was slaughtering the baby boys when Jesus was born. And of course he died while they were hiding in Egypt and then like his brother takes over. And if I, I think this one was Herod Agrippa I. Um, again, <laughs> if you look at any kind of history on the, the family of the Herods, these were nasty people, uh, just crazy, paranoid. I mean, some of the Herods were killing their own kids for fear of them taking the throne and their political power. And um, political power is going to be a little bit of a theme in this chapter, um, and to see what the Christians do with that. Um, and so Herod, uh, this Herod Agrippa the first, um, he I don't know for what reason, but he turns against the church. And um, he gets a hold of one of the apostles. Uh, He gets a hold of James, the brother of John. And all it tells us is that he's killed with the sword. You know, this is somebody that we grew pretty close to in the Gospel of Mark, if you listened through that with us. And and if you haven't listened through the season one on the Gospel of Mark, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, James was, as we like to say, a fiery guy. Uh, he He was one of the sons of thunder, along with his brother John. And uh, James was a good servant of the Lord. Of course, we know he was a fisherman. We read about him all the way back in Mark chapter 1. 
uh, he left his family behind, he left his fishing behind to go and follow Jesus and to become a, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So um, it's sad to read about his passing here, but we know that, that God, in his timing of things, there was a reason for it. And uh, James certainly was useful in the Lord's kingdom in the time he was on the earth. Mm-hmm. And you know, somebody I think about in all this is I think about John. Um, John is going to end up, if our other sources of history are correct, uh, outlive pretty much all of the other apostles. And this is the the first of the apostles after Jesus' ascension um, to, to be put to death. Um, and of course, if tradition is correct, all of the apostles, except for John, will die a martyr's death. And this is the first of them. But John will live no easy life. Right. Um, it'll it's still just a be... different kind of hard to, to, live, to outlive your friends. It is incredibly difficult. And, um, but I appreciate here that there's going to be a rescue later in this chapter. Um, Peter is spared. James is not. And we don't know the Lord's reasons for all of that. Uh, we just don't know all the reasons of why God uh, allows some to live longer and some to die. Of course, Peter will go on. He's, Peter's told specifically that he's going to be martyred for the Lord at the end of the Gospel of John. And I appreciate what Jesus told John there, because John, or what Jesus told Peter, because Peter looks around and he sees John. And he's like, Lord, what about this man? And uh, Jesus tells him, what's that to you? You follow me. And um, that is what John needs to do here as well. Is uh, he's lost his he's lost his brother, but what I love about this is that we just don't see John waver in this. John holds fast to Jesus uh, despite the loss of his brother, and goes on to do so much more good after this in the early church. Um, we're gonna see have the letters of John later, and of course Jesus will reveal the revelation to John uh, near the end of his life and. It's powerful to think about what this would have been like for John and just the fact that John trusted the Lord through this, uh, through this tragedy of the, the loss of his brother, the early loss of his brother. Yeah. Well, when Herod sees that what he's done to James, the apostle, pleases the Jews, verse 3 tells us that he proceeds to arrest Peter. Um, now, it was during the days of, of unleavened bread, and I don't think it's too big of a leap or assumption to, to think, well, if he grabbed a hold of James and killed him, and it pleases the Jews. If he's grabbed a hold of Peter, what do you think? What do you think he's planning to do with yep. Peter? Um, I, I think I think Peter has a death warrant at this point. Absolutely, he's on, on death row, right. and 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 he's intending to bring him out after Passover. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Right. Again, you just see the parallels over and over. Jesus was brought out by Pilate right after, right during Passover week, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, Herod is kind of this is a replay of what happened to Jesus. And we don't really know what Peter's thinking a whole lot. Uh, we'll read a little bit more about it in just a second. But like Stephen said, he knows he will die a martyr's death. So I think he fully believes this might be it for him. This is the end of the ropes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he's thrown into, into prison. Uh, you'll notice that it, it says he is guarded by four squads of soldiers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why, do you, why do you think that is? I, I, think, I think my mind immediately goes back to chapter 5 um, <laughs> when they all were basically able to walk out of the prison uh, because of because of God's intervention there, because of the Lord's intervention. Maybe so. Um, but yeah, they're, they're certainly, they see him as someone who might be able to get away. <laughs> right. Yeah, four squads just seems like such overkill. Um, but I do wonder here if Herod is not anticipating some kind of, you know, riot 
yeah, some maybe kind so. of uprising from the disciples. But what's amazing to me about this chapter is if there was ever a time for the Christians to get up and protest, to get up and, uh, you know, kind of politically riot or go after the, le- the political leadership. Yeah, go get Peter out. But they don't. We find them in verse 5. They go to each other and they go to prayer. Yep. They go to the Lord. They don't go to King Herod. They go to the King God. Yeah, the King of Kings. That's <laughs> yeah. right. And uh, and that's that is where they find their comfort and their their fortress. Well, and they realize that at the end of the day, that is who can ultimately do something about the problem is God. Um, and so I appreciate their their willingness to go to God in prayer like this. And it says they were fervently making prayer. To God about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter was a leader in the Lord's church there. We'll later learn that it, perhaps he was an elder in that local church as well. Um, but he is a prominent figure. Um, many of them had probably obeyed the gospel as a result of Peter's teaching and preaching. And uh, they were very close with him. So it makes sense that they were praying for him like this. Yeah. And I'll also say, I appreciate that they're still praying for Peter. I can only assume they had been praying fervently for James. And their prayers were not answered in the way they had hoped. But they don't give up praying for Peter. Right. They know that the, the Lord did not choose to deliver James, but he may well choose to deliver Peter. Um, although we'll see a bit of a surprise here in a minute. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's really bring us into the next section. I just appreciate that they're still praying here, still holding trust in the Lord. Uh, let's pick up in verse 6 and read down through verse 19 of Acts 12. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, that is, about to bring Peter out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when they came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. All right, so um, it's the very night when Herod's going to bring him forward. Uh, It's the 11th hour, as we like to say, right? It's it's almost time for Peter to die. 
And um, I don't reckon this was a very comfortable night of sleeping. Uh, sleeping in between two soldiers, uh, bound up with chains, guards in front of the door, watching over you. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's the most comfortable sleeping position. But Nonetheless, that's where Peter is. But it's amazing that he's able to sleep. Right. I mean, if it was what I thought was the last night of my life, I don't think I would have been sleeping. But there's a peace that Peter has to be able to sleep, even in those circumstances. Yeah, that's a great point. But the angel of the Lord appears, and uh, the, the light shines in his cell. And I love it. It says, like, it strikes Peter's side. It's like, <laughs> hey, hey, wake up. Wake up. <laughs> um, get up quickly. And his chains just fall off his hands. And the angel says, all right, pick up your, your cloak, put on your sandals, follow me. And uh, Peter's a pretty good follower. Uh, it's the same way Jesus called him. So he just gets up and follows the angel out. And it says that he doesn't know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. Uh, which, to be fair, like, if you're Peter... You've had visions before. Uh, we read about one back in Acts chapter 10 that happened three times, and even then he wasn't exactly sure what he was looking at. So Peter is still just a little bit confused. Um, but as he passes by the first and the second guard and then gets to the iron gate that goes into the city, it kind of like opens sesames, right? It just kind of opens up in front of him, and he goes out along the street, and then the angel leaves. And that's when he realizes that it's not a dream or a vision, but God has sent forth an angel. The Lord has sent forth an angel to rescue him from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the deliverance of Peter, but it will be the deliverance of, of God's people there in Jerusalem as well. Mm -hmm. And this is really powerful to think about. I mean, the angel, I don't know if it was an angel specifically the first time, but Peter and John were able to get out of the prison, or the, all the apostles in chapter 5. Um, were released and then rearrested and they beat them. And now, I mean, Peter's, you know, on what we might call death row and he just walks out of the prison and Peter's as surprised as anybody. Again, I'm sure Peter had been praying, but he was totally at peace with whatever was going to happen to him. He was able to sleep that night. And when he realizes that the Lord has released him, I'm sure that was a very pleasant surprise. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm alive. I'm, I've... Uh, been rescued from the hand of Herod and all that uh, the Jewish people were expecting. And so he knows where to go. I love this. The, apparently, the disciples probably gathered regularly for prayer at the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. And so he's like, well, I know where to go. And they're not sleeping. They're up praying, I'm sure, for Peter, right? And so they're in the middle of the, their prayer service for Peter. And he knocks at the door. And this is just so comical to me. You know, Rhoda comes to the door. A little servant girl. And yeah. is like, she recognizes Peter's voice. And in her joy, she forgets to let him in. Runs in. is like, it's Peter at the door. And they're, it's interesting because they're, they're praying. I, I kind of picture like, shh, be quiet, Rhoda. We're praying for Peter. And it's like, Peter's at the door. And they're not expecting this answer to their prayer. But God has answered their prayers in, in ways far more abundantly beyond what they could ask or think. You know, the, he has provided an answer so immediately and just amazingly to their prayers. Yeah. Here's and, Peter at the door. Yeah, and of course, Peter, while he's, while Rhoda runs off, verse 16 says, Peter, like, continues knocking. Like, hey, right. uh, let, let, let me in. Let me in. I, I need, let me in. And they open the door, and in verse 17, it says, he motions to them with his hand to be silent. Uh, of course, 
he has just escaped prison. Um, escaped he, death. He does not know if the guards know he's gone yet. He doesn't know if they're after him or anything like that. So he doesn't want to give away his position. So I, I personally think that's why he's like, hey, okay, yeah. quieten down. Um, and he begins to tell them how the Lord had let him out of prison. Um, and I love how he says, report these things to James and the brethren. And he left and went to another place. Why, why do you think he tells him to go tell James and the brethren what's happened? Yeah, it's probably not the whole group of disciples there. And James, uh, if we understand this correctly, would this would be James, the brother of Jesus. And this is one of the first times we see him mentioned as kind of a, a prominent figure mm-hmm. among the Christians in Jerusalem. We'll see him mentioned later in like Acts 15. Yeah, as an elder of the local church there. Yep, yeah. yep. And so um, I think this is interesting that he's like, you know, tell Tell James, uh, tell the other brothers in Jerusalem. Of course, there are thousands and, of them and there. The, and it's a encouraging story. The Lord is delivering his people, nonetheless. So that would be an encouraging story to get to tell. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to, to think about that, like, when we're praying for something, we need to believe and have trust in the Lord that he can deliver us through, through prayer um, and not doubt him. Because it, it certainly would seem like, although they had been praying about it, they weren't fully there with believing God would actually do it, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's well, a good lesson there for us. And to be fair, James had just been killed. Right. They, they knew that it was possible for the Lord to do whatever he wanted to do. And I mean, I think about Jesus' prayer in the garden. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. And of course, Jesus was killed. James was killed. Now, Peter is spared on this occasion. We know that he will be killed later. Um, but again, all this is in the Lord's hands. And the disciples are finding their comfort and their camaraderie in prayer. I think that's just so important in this chapter to see for us in times of great turbulence, in times of political upheaval, in times of personal loss, that we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be people who are turning to the Lord and that's where we find our comfort and not in other other ways of trying to change the world around us except to go to God and trust that he can take care of us. Um, that's a lesson that we so much need right now. Um, yeah. I need that lesson. Um, the more you watch the news, the more it's just, you can just get so worried about a lot of things. But this chapter really shows us in this tense emotional moment in the early church, they show us what we need to do. Um, we need to be people of prayer, trusting that God can answer in amazing ways, but also knowing that whatever God chooses to do, we're going to trust him. And uh, whether people live or die, whether our country goes the way we hope it goes or not, whatever happens, the Lord is ruling in the kingdoms of men. He's Lord over Herod. He's Lord over the powers that seem to be so fearsome in this chapter. And we're going to see the chapter end with an amazing note here in a second about how just how much power the Lord has over Herod. Um, and, uh, it, it, again, just, uh, some amazing contrasts and, and powerful things in this chapter. So the people who end up dying at the end of this, uh, story here are the guards that, uh, they don't find Peter. And again, this is kind of part of the Roman system. It was not good for you to lose your prisoner. Um, and, uh, they, uh, when Herod examines them, doesn't find Peter, uh, they are put to death. Well, and it's and it's ironic, the whole chapter, right? So Herod is putting trust in his guards to guard Peter. The saints of the Lord are putting their trust in God to guard Peter. 
and it's almost a battle between the two. And who ends up winning? Um, God ends up winning in that he obviously delivers Peter out of the hands of the guards. And then Herod's guards end up being the ones that are executed. And we're about to read what happens to Herod uh, as well. So it's all this classic reversal that we see pretty consistently through scripture. Also, a bit of a flashback back to season one. John Mark in verse 12 is the same John Mark that wrote the Gospel of John. Or, sorry, the Gospel of Mark. Sorry. Uh, the Gospel <laughs> well, he of Mark. Named John yeah, and sorry. Mark, but not uh, John the Apostle. No, John the Apostle, though, uh, as Stephen mentioned earlier, the brother of James that was just put to death will write the Gospel of John. John Mark, that's mentioned there in verse 12, uh, will be the one that writes the Gospel of Mark. So, uh, for what it's worth, I think that's important to point out. And we'll, we'll see some more from John Mark as the book of Acts progresses. Let's read what happens next. Uh, Let's read verses 20 through 25 of Acts 12. Now he, being Herod, was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, that's the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace, because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, The voice of a God, and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So, wow, uh, Herod who had, we've started this chapter with just such a frightening picture of the power that Herod has to track down and to execute the apostles. Um, now Herod himself um, stands in judgment, so to speak, before the king of kings. Um, and again, Herod is angry with the people of Tyre inside in those northern coastal cities uh, north of uh, Galilee. And... Um, they uh, are coming and kind of needing to win Herod's favor because they depend on him for their sustenance. And so um, as Herod gives this speech publicly, uh, we, we learn some other things. I believe it's from Josephus about like he had like this shiny silver garment on and the sun hit it just right and the people were shouting, you know, this is a, a god and not a man. And Ooh, chilling. <laughs> yeah, and again, we're going to see this come up several times in the book of Acts, uh, that you do not accept worship if you are not deity, unless you want to incur God's wrath. <laughs> and yeah. that was when like, when Peter came to Cornelius' house a couple of chapters ago. You know, He fell down and worshipped him and said, no, stand up, Like I'm just a man. And that's what Herod should have done. But Herod did not give God the glory. He did not tell him to stand up. And uh, they praised him like a god. And when he accepts that, uh, God strikes him down. God shows them just how much of a man that Herod is and not a God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's God's point here. Um, and this is a huge point for us to understand. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus says the Lord. Stephen mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. The early disciples... Yeah, they could have gotten together a, a posse or a, a militia and tried to go get Peter out and, and in the process try to kill Herod or kill whoever they could. They, they could. they could have put all that together and tried to do it. 
And might, might they have been successful? Possibly. But that is not who they put their trust in. They put their trust in God. And they trust in the Lord to deliver not only Peter, but to take care of the Herod problem. And God does. Uh, God takes a, a good care of that problem by striking Herod. Um, and eventually, after it being eaten by worms, he will end up dying. Uh, and we better see the contrast in verses 20 through 23 with the contrast in 24 and 25. Because as soon as Herod is dead, what does the text tell us? The word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking John Mark with them. Um, the, the church is growing. The word of the Lord is growing and multiplying. Because I think Herod's out of the way now. Uh, God took care of this problem. The saints didn't have to take it into their own hands. They just needed to take it to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do as well. Yeah, that's right. Again, kind of interesting, if you want to look this up sometime, you can like Google Josephus and Herod's death. Um, this happens about 44 or so. Um, and it's actually like over a period of five days. Like he has this pain in his stomach. And then like five days later, he dies. But it's interesting that he, he's eaten by worms. You know, God uses small things to bring down this mighty man who thinks he's deity and, um, or at least is accepting praise like, like a God. Something else that stood out to me as you're reading this, um, it's interesting that, uh, the angel of the Lord struck him down. Right. And this is, uh, the same phrase that says when the angel struck Peter on the side to wake him up. I thought that was really interesting that uh, an angel strikes two people in this chapter he, he, he hits Peter to wake him up to save him. And then, I don't know if it's the same angel or not, it'd be kind of cool if it was, uh, is sent to strike Herod, but to strike him down. Um, so I, that, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is really cool. And uh, the, the angels are messengers of God. They're not only messengers in, in the fact that they deliver a message from God, but they, they carry out the will of God too. And it was God's will that Herod be dead and be out of the way. And uh, that's exactly what happens here. Mm -hmm, that's right. And I love that these, uh, verse 24 is, is sometimes you might call this like a progress report in the book of Acts. Um, we see this like several times throughout the book. Like one of my favorite ones um, is back in like Acts 9 31, uh, after talking about the conversion of Saul um, and then Saul escaping um, out to Caesarea when he's almost killed in Jerusalem. It, but it says in Acts 9.31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Um, and just interesting, the way Luke writes Acts, there are just these kind of periodic progress reports. Like, all these things are going on. There's crazy opposition to the gospel. And there's sometimes there's death. Sometimes there's very challenging losses that the church experiences. But the word of God just continues to increase, continues to multiply. And that's one of the things that Luke is highlighting as we go through the book of Acts is things are not perfect. Th things are not easy for the followers of Jesus, but nothing stops the word of God. It just continues to grow and multiply. And we can take great comfort in that in a world right now. Uh, you know, we're in 2020. Things are crazy right now. <laughs> that uh, things are not going as expected and we don't know what the future holds right now. But we can be confident that if we're serving the Lord, the word of the Lord is going to continue to grow and to multiply. And uh, we've seen that this year. We've been 
blessed to see several encouraging things in the kingdom work around us um, and in other places. And I just love these progress reports, so to speak, that Luke uses as we go through the book of Acts because we can just see the same kind of thing around us now if we're looking for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, Lord willing, next week, we're going to get into a part of Acts that really will carry out throughout the rest of the book. It will be the beginning of Paul's preaching trips, missionary journeys. He'll start off in Antioch and be sent off from there. Uh, so Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll tackle Paul's first missionary trip and um, talk about the adventures of Paul from here on out. Really. That's right. We've yeah. had the adventures of Peter. He's been kind of the main guy in Acts 1 through 12. Right. And uh, that's, again, a, a high-level division of the book right here. Chapters 1 through 12 is largely centered in Jerusalem and the area around Jerusalem. And now the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. Uh, starting in chapter 13 and following. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast today. Um, If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, um, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you if you have questions or comments on what you're hearing. 717-585-0949, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check us out on the web 